I'm Amy, sex educator, somatic sex and relationship coach, and sex shop owner. And I'm April, VP of an international high-end pleasure products company and boss queen sex toy mogul. We're best friends who make our own rules about who we are as sexual beings. With everything from how to be a badass in the bedroom to top tips for bringing your relationship to the next level, we have something just for you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Don't forget to head on over to our website at shamelesssex.com for more. And for 15% off of some of our favorite sex toys, use coupon code SHAMELESSPP in all caps at purepleasureshop.com. Well, hello, everyone. Ooh, the well, hello, hi. Well, hi, hello. Well, hello. Howdy, hola. Que paso. Bien, bienvenidos. <laughs> Namaste. That, wait, that's welcome. Yeah, it is. Okay. Well, um, Bonjourno. Bonjourno. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Shameless Sex Show. We have a very exciting episode. Oh, my God. This episode is so... This is like one of our idols. Our we I don't know. She's, she's fantastic human being. Amazing and she's amazing. so intelligent and so, I mean, knowledgeable. Not only about what the topic is of this episode, but about uh, a lot of like female sexuality. Mm-hmm. About um, anything from. Well, I don't want to get into it, but the fuck the patriarchy <laughs> and some reasons why. We could feel that way. Yeah, fuck the patriarchy. Yeah. But then she says, no, the patriarchy doesn't deserve to get fucked. (laughs) I like that. Anyways, we're not going to give it away. So (laughs) You already did. Damn it. All right, you can tune out now. (laughs) Episode's over. (laughs) Just kidding. No, we're super excited about this episode. This is uh, someone that we uh, really look up to, that has taught us a lot. I've been quoting her in my uh, sex education classes for years. And also, it's, a, it's she has a New York Times best-selling book. Come, so Come as you are. Come as you are. You've heard us talk about it so many times. I'm actually three-quarters of the way through the Audible version right now, and um, I don't want to stop listening. I usually just have to because I'm driving, and so I'm like, oh, I, wa- like, I really want to go, and I'll, I'll rewind different parts because there's just a plethora of information that has helped me in some of um, my sexual experiences, but also with um, self-pleasure and kind of figuring out what's going on with my body Mm -hmm. and why things are the way they are. That's why I got into the human sexuality realm because I did not understand this thing. I still don't fully understand this thing. No, me neither. And it changes all the time. I have a story. Oh. I have a story. I told you briefly, but I'm going to tell our audience. I, I told you in a voice memo so oh yeah you did so i have the um the morena hormonal iud and i actually really really like it i haven't been on hormones i was on hormones when i was a teenager and then i got off any sort of hormonal birth control when i was 21 or 22 i got the copper iud and she got poisoning from the uh, copper well IUD. the first copper iud i did not get copper poisoning i had for a good nine years and then i got pregnant on it then i got the copper iud taken out obviously because i was pregnant and then got a second one then i got some sort of the the western medicine claims that there is no such thing as copper poisoning from the iud but i remember my skin my skin was crazy i was getting like five news and you got day. pregnant on the iud too the first one yeah yeah the copper one so then i was doing the fertility awareness method but because my period was so irregular i was just like and i should have worked with fertility friday i should yeah, have just worked right. with her because i freaked myself out when my period would come late because i was already had already had an abortion blah 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 i got the marina uh hormonal iud which i've actually really liked it's worked really well with my body I also use the cup 
um, the menstrual cup. And, and, and so I don't use tampons when I have my monthly flow, my menstrual cycle. And the other day I was in the shower and I had my cup in and I had this moment where I was like about to take my cup out. And I had this, you know, those, those one to two second psychic moments where you're like, what if this happens and then it happens? Yes, absolutely. I totally had that moment of like, what if I pull my cu- take my cup out and it pulls my IUD out and I pull my cup out and I did it a little aggressively, like I should have been a little more gentle. And and I felt something shift. I was like, wait. And I felt into my my finger inside and felt my cervix. feel it. I could feel like it's like two centimeters of the plastic of the, the IUD. IUD bottom, right? The bottom S- of it. Yeah. yeah. Sticking out of my cervix. And I was like, nah. And, and then I, so I pushed it back. Does it in. have like the little, because the IUD I had had those little like almost Strings. like fishing line yes. feeling so now I've always had, you know, with IUD I've always had a, I don't know, maybe like an inch or two of the fishing line sticking out. But now I pushed the IUD back in and then I, but oh, now. Was that, was that, did it hurt to push it back just, in? No, it wasn't, it was, it was still in my uterus. Okay. Like, you know, it has the little T on top. Yes. The T I think was still in my uterus and it's just the bo- the base was sticking through my cervix. Okay. So I pushed in, it didn't feel that good. And then I felt kind of crampy for a couple <sighs> hours and was bleeding. I know this is kind of graphic everyone, but long story short, <laughs> if you have the IUD and you have a menstrual cup, just make sure that you squeeze the menstrual cup to release the suction. Release the suction. Right. Don't just pull at it. Um, I'm probably going to have to go into the doctor uh, tomorrow. I, I had, was bleeding for a day and then it was fine, but uh, I need them to check it because I need to make sure that it's still. I have PTSD. Uh, okay. My body has trauma f- around IUDs too. Mm-hmm. Mem- and cups. You, you, had, you cups. had convinced me. Well, you had sold me on the IUD when you had it like 10 years ago. I did a lot of false advertising. For well, yes. So I got it and because I wasn't into hormones either. I wanted to get off hormones back then. I was like 26, I think. And, and I tried it and it was like, it felt like I was giving birth to an alien because I was moving to Israel and I didn't want to deal with get. I didn't know if I could get birth control mm. because I didn't. I wasn't a citizen, so I couldn't see a doctor. Blah blah blah. So the IUD was a good solution for me, but it felt like I was giving birth to an alien devil child every month when yeah. my period would come. It was pa- painful. I mean, I couldn't even. And I've never had bad cramps, and I've never. And I could feel it too. Like I could feel a little the things when I when I reached into the string, my vaginal yeah. canals, the little yeah, the little um, fishing line things. But uh, I don't know. Like I get freaked out. But are you going to keep it? Are you going to keep I, it so in? I honestly, it's so interesting. When I got the copper IUD the first round, it the first time when I was twenty two, it took me like six months to adapt to it. Like you're talking about, you right? Know, and and then even for after that, for nine years, my my periods were more intense. Um, they were longer, they were heavier, et cetera. I would get cramps and I, and I never had cramps before. Yeah. Um, so, but what's, what's interesting. And then of course, when I got the copper ID, the, for a couple days, you're extra crampy. The Marina, I went in and got it put in. Of course, it's not a fun process to put it in. It's like 10 minutes of discomfort. I literally felt like when I went home an hour later, like nothing had happened. And my body really acclimated it to it very quickly. And I think it's because it's plastic maybe instead of a metal, a heavy metal that's hanging out. So anyway, I, I actually do really like it. And I pr- would prefer to not be on hormones. And at some point I might just go switch to start working with Fertility Friday. Right. When she was on our podcast. If you go yeah. to look up the Fertility Friday podcast. But because I, I like being really completely naturally in sync with my well hormones. she also just that book that came out the fifth vital sign she talks about mm-hmm. some of the, the the effects of it well the effects of hormonal birth control in general yeah. which can really just affect your libido but maybe 
it's it it's not having an effect on your libido but well my libido has always been kind of wonky yeah it's, yeah there's so many interesting aspects to it you know what the other thing that's so this is another tangent so many tangents but about sex so i was just on a business trip in phoenix you know what i realized maybe this happens to you april um when i travel the minute i travel and i'm away from my partner i'll have moments where i'm like feeling a little bit of because I don't feel a lot of horniness in my life. Yeah, like a little bit of horniness. Like oh, oh. I'm kind when of when you leave or when you're coming back. When I when I leave. <laughs> oh, it's like I want what I can't have. Oh, the yes. minute I'm gone and there's something that reminds me of sex, I'll have the, a little bit of a feeling like oh, if he was here right now, I would totally love to initiate sex. And then when I get back home and I'm in front of him, that feeling isn't around as much. Be- and so that really to me shows that it is this mental thing of wanting what I can't have once it's available. It's less, I don't know how you, you well, that works. Well, it's funny because, well, Emily Nagowski in her book talks about stress too affecting your uh, your accelerator and your brakes, which she'll talk more about in the, in the book. And I think maybe if you're stressed out, I mean, when I'm stressed out, I get not, like no, I cannot have like sexy thoughts. Like I'm just like, oh, like, ew, I don't want you to touch me. I don't want you to look. And maybe when you're, maybe, maybe travel is relaxing for you. So it's, Kicking I up think it really has to do with him not being there. Hmm. I think it's more like Esther Perel's mating in captivity. You know, we we like obstacles. Obstacles are sexy, and so once they're not there, and there's an obstacle of, you know, I can't just there and there. And also something changes. You know, when he's in front of me and in person, the energy changes. Now I'm not just inside of myself and whatever my thoughts are. It's like it, there's something about that that I think needs some work on my end of not getting so lost in the communal energy. And so I can, like there's something that I have in me that I can go in and tap into when we're separate. Yeah. But then when we come together, I lose it a little bit. And so I just, I'm putting that out there on the air as with a curious exploration. I can see that has happened to me when I've been away from um, partners in the past. And sometimes my partner now, not as much, but where I have like these thoughts of like ripping the clothes off yeah. of each other. And then when we're right with each other. You, rip the clothes off and yeah. then you see them. You're and like, I'm like, oh, hey, what's up? How's your Karen? <laughs> nice. You look good today. Okay. I got to go unpack. So I think one of the remedy for that would be. You know, say we have those thoughts and we're not going to see them for two days. And then so two days later, we're going to see them. I'm wondering if it would be to take some moment, bef- uh, some time, you know, even if it's like 10 minutes by ourselves, you know, maybe we're in the car and we tap we're like, OK, I'm going to consciously tap back into that feeling before I walk in the door or letting them know ahead of time. Like, hey, when I get there, I don't want any words. I just want make eye contact and just start touching and going from there. Or I don't know. I mean, I, these are just some theories I think that might work for me. Yeah. Uh, that I might need to because I think what happens is I get in my head when I when I get there right like when you get pre- when, when you're next to your partner when I when I after a business trip of three days yeah and I see them we start talking we got I go right into headspace and instead of staying in body space or taking time to go into the body space before so uh, yeah I've been in my head a lot this last oh, week because I've been moving I've just been so stressed moving which I was supposed to move into a house and it fell through and um And so I was homeless for like, it wasn't, she was on the street. I was not on the street. I feel (laughs) fortunate enough that I I could get a hotel, but almost not because almost all the hotels were booked in Santa Cruz because of, it was a holiday weekend. So there was a moment where I was like, I'm going to just sleep in my car. I have a lot of friends here as well, but you know, sometimes you just don't want to, 
burden people with your own shit. Sounds like something to work on. Yeah. Well, I also <laughs> everyone would take you in. Everyone loves you. I know. People were so sweet. And even offering. our friends that are out of town, like out of the country right now, that would totally let you take their place. I know. I just it's my pride sometimes. Yeah. I'm like, I, I don't want to ask anyone for favors. But point is, I haven't had sex in a hot minute and I am starting now to ease back in because I do have a place to live and I can feel like a couple times. Like I've had a little ting, like of my, my, I could feel my nerves reacting to certain things just like for a, a second. A good ting? Or a good ting in oh, my, like, in my, like pulsating pussy? in my bits. Oh, yeah. A little bit. Like it, ha- it usually happens to me a lot when I'm in a good space and I'm exercising, mm-hmm. but I haven't been exercising. I haven't been just my, the normal day to day routine is gone. And so I haven't even been horny at all. Not I'm even slightly. I'm just going to put this out there, not go into detail, but last night I had one of those like sexy dreams with a little ting in my pussy. Ooh. And all I'll tell you was it was a, a, a scene in a Korean prison. <laughs> I have no idea. Really? I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but it, it was and it was like a non-consensual. There was a paddle involved in a Korean prison cell in my dream last night that I was really turned on by. Just putting that out there, everyone. Do that. Do what, with that what you what you I like. like that. I like how specific <laughs> it is. I don't know why. Yeah. We, 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 well, thank you for sharing. By the way, all of those all of those things. Uh-huh. Um, we have like a really kind of I think it's a a dynamically intri- intriguing question sex, sex question. question yeah before we do that the, we let's um let's cheers to our wine well p.s I'm like what is it called speedballing over here where yes, uh, I, have a, I have a coffee <laughs> and a wine <laughs> cheers yeah yummy we're not gonna tell you what it is because it's new oh yeah From margins wine it's their new release, so we'll just and tell you that she, it's yummy. Margin's Wine was sold out. She was completely sold out of wine. She will have a new release coming in March 2019. Check it out. Remember, it's a natural wine with minimal sulfites, um, and she takes grapes from underrepresented regions and underrepresented varietals. So they're more rare than you typically find. Like It's not just a mainstream Cabernet or a mainstream Pinot Noir. It's usually very beautifully curated and boutique. So go to our website, marginswine.com, and sign up for a newsletter so you can be the first to find out. And we're not going to tell you the code right now because you can't order her run yeah, because she, it's out. But if you sign up for the newsletter, you're the first to get the discounts on yes. her And it's limited release, so you'll, be, you'll actually get the wine when it does when it is released. Yeah. Does is all of it. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, so the sex question. Sex question. Everyone, um, this relates to this online campaign that we did. I guess online is the wrong word, but our social media campaign. When this is airing, the campaign will have ended. Uh, yes, the campaign will have ended when this is airing. If you are not sure what the hell I'm talking about, go to our Shameless Sex Instagram. Shameless Sex Podcast. Shameless Sex Podcast on Instagram. I think it's just Shameless Sex, right? No, it's Shameless Sex Podcast. Okay, go do what she said and go <laughs> go look that up. It's funny, we always do that with our Shameless Sex know. codes. Like, we always, I'm like, we need to streamline this. Yeah, we should. But uh, you know what? It's organic and we're human and we're not computers. That's why we have I compu- am the robot. I am cute <laughs> computer. Sometimes I You feel know, like I like calling computer. my computer my pooter. <laughs> I'm like, have you seen my pooter? <laughs> I have one <it> somewhere. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> I'll watch your booter for you. Thank you. Um, okay, so anyways, go to Shameless Sex Podcast Instagram and you'll see the campaign they were talking about. It was inspired by Wednesday Martin's book, Untrue. It is a campaign um, uh, exposing, promoting, um, highlighting the diversity of female sexuality and female sexual experiences. Um, everything from uh, ideas about monogamy to orientation to fantasy 
um, to myth busting, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Yes, people I've outing that you know having affairs and cheating yes. to having fantasies about women to. And I outed that I cheated and it had some interesting feedback. People have a hard time. People with that have one. a really um, hard time, and yeah. it's not like I'm like I cheated and I'm suggesting everyone cheats. Do you see the one the, that people had a really hard time with the woman that that said that she's uh, dating a married man? Yeah, and and it's and she even says something about uh, ethical non-monogamy and people are having a really hard time yeah. with it and she actually sent me a message saying the wife knows in fact the wife is the one that actually instigated it yeah. and so my question for people when they hear it see that stuff and their first thought is oh it's wrong the you know poor wife is they automatically went to it must not be uh consensual consensual right is like what is what is that highlighting you know that people's first thought is that you know the man must be fucking over the woman versus oh why is their first thought not that this might be a consensual thing that people actually really enjoy and are choosing right well i think that particular um instagram contest su- submitter we'll call them yeah. um was very descriptive with their situation yeah. um i just put i cheated yeah. and so people were not stoked about i think the 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 dishonesty that is usually associated with cheating. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you, but then you commented on there about what you learned from it. Oh, you yeah. Know, no, so exactly. There's, there's that piece, too. It's like... Totally. And that's why and it's like, hear the whole story. I did learn a lot from that. And that was something that I needed to go through almost to to grow and to be where and who I am today. And I asked Wednesday Martin the statistics for cheating and she's she said cheating of you know affairs infidelity and she says from what is reported it's like around 20%. Mm-hmm. And it's not not really that different between men and women or mm-hmm. and that's you know of course is is kind of just there's not everyone is just man, identifies as man and woman but that's who was studied in this. Uh, so Twenty percent means it's common. You Almost know, a quarter of our of the folks are that were in some time in their lifetime are having yes. an experience that is stepping outside of their arrangement with a partner. So we're not I, advocating for it, but we're highlighting like this shit is happening. This is real. Let's talk about it. And really, thank you to all of those folks that were courageous and bold enough to stand up and to um, to be a part of that campaign because it was really something that we wanted to do. Um, kind of Gloria Simon was the one that... Gloria Steinem. Yeah, yeah. she... Um, she wore the shirt that said, uh, I had an abortion. Yeah, yeah. and how, and uh, it was on Wednesday Martin's... Yes. The, I forgot that she... Yeah, there's a specific campaign that where that was around, but that's what that inspired was around, that. But I think it was around choice. That yes, was about abortion. Yeah, yeah. uh-huh. Which is what inspired this, you know, right. Wednesday and Gloria Simon, all of these women, you know, female pioneers that are have inspired us to do this, and then in turn inspired all of you. You know, we're all part of the movement, and that's what we call it the Shameless Sex Revolution. Yeah, hashtag so. Shameless Sex Revolution. But in in it's over with now. We'll do more campaigns. That was yeah. the whole thing that I wanted to. You haven't seen it? It's still on there. It's on our yeah. Instagram page, and um, it's uh, really cool to look at some people's shares. And with that, this sex question that someone sent us, I think, uh, actually really speaks to a lot of what we highlighted in that campaign, and also to what this podcast is about. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So this sex question is from a very young individual. Uh, I think they said they were in their twenties. They're twenty-one. They're twenty-one. Yeah. The subject is: Are my homosexual thoughts just in my head, or should I leave my heterosexual relationship? My boyfriend and I have been together for a little over two years. I love to be super adventurous in the bedroom. Sex doesn't last very long, and I almost never come. When I do, 
When I do come, however, I have been thinking about girls. I have kissed a girl once in college, and I know my boyfriend is going to propose soon, but I feel so unfulfilled. Eep. I love my boyfriend, and he is a great guy. We have the same routine. Every night I come home from work and make dinner, rub his back, feet, shoulders, or penis, whatever is the issue for the, that day, take a shower, and then go to bed. I ask for him to rub on me, but he does it for less than a minute and gets a hand cramp. Long story short is that I have been fantasizing about girls since I was in high school, and I feel like my boyfriend would be down for a threesome. Uh, he has been in several, but I have never been in one, and, and in my fantasies, he isn't even involved. It's just me and another girl. I don't even know if having a threesome would resolve anything because I'm craving intimacy on an intimate and emotional level. I'm becoming less and less sexually attracted to him no matter how great he is in other areas. And I feel so awful for feeling this way. I'm just so confused on so many levels. So can I say something just straight off the bat? Get in there. If I can recommend to this listener, uh, exploration a hundred percent I think is, is needed. I would say the whole proposal thing, maybe put that on the the back burner and discover some things about yourself first, because obviously this is, this is important. This is something, and you don't have to define yourself as I'm, you know, a, a homosexual person or I'm a heterosexual. Remember, that's not necessarily one way or the other. There's a lot of gray area in between. You may or may not be one of those things or both of those things. You could be all of those things. Um, and change over time. And you're too. 21 years old. So obviously, I would recommend you know, maybe taking some time, not necessarily breaking it off with this boyfriend who may soon be your fiance, but taking some self-exploration and kind of um, diving into seeing what it is like to be with other folks, maybe that aren't necessarily of um, the penis owning category. Maybe they're in different categories. Maybe they own a silicone penis. Ooh, or a couple of them. Or a couple of them. (laughs) All different shapes and sizes and colors and textures. Um, I, yeah, I totally agree with that. Wow. I mean, we live in California. So being with someone for two years at the age of 21 and already getting engaged to us in California is like, whoa, you know, we're, but we're also that generation in that time where people are, are, aren't getting married to a lot of people are, you know, they're doing all different ages, but you know, I think it, it could be considered completely normal to wait till you're 40 years old to do that. Yeah. And in no way I'm saying this is this abnormal for this person but i would say that especially as april's saying if you're having these questions and these desires for other things before you go and dive into something that uh, especially if you actually do put the ring on it and you do the documentation and you do get married and you do you know own the house and then all of a sudden you decide hey I, you have I was children or something too. Yeah, I was unhappy when we started, and I'm now extra unhappy because nothing that stuff is not going to remedy that. that. It's going to make it more complicated. Like April said, to to give yourself time, or at least communicate with your partner. You know, at least talk to them about this. That you know, I have these desires and these fantasies. Maybe we can try this threesome thing. And I just want to let you know that sometimes my fantasies actually don't include you. So I would like to to try this before we dive you can in watch. deeper. Yeah, you can watch, but you also might discover that you just want. And then there's the other here. This is the other issue. You're bored. You're bored because 
obviously you're not really receiving a lot from them. You're not receiving that which you desire. I don't know. It says that you ask for him to rub She's, you. And she said she almost never comes. Yeah. She just, I, I rub him when he needs it. And I, and then I ask him to rub me and he does it last for a minute and then he gets a hand cramp. It, to me, it sounds like uh, either there's a, maybe a combination of the two where maybe you could be a little more descriptive or clear on what it is that you want, need and desire. Not just like, Hey, can you rub me? But sit him down and say, like, Hey, there's just something really important that I've been thinking about. Um, I'm really desiring a lot more touch. I'm desiring to receive more pleasure. I'm desiring more presence. Um, and I'm wondering if we can work together so that they, we can meet each other's needs and let them know how important it is. And then if he still isn't showing up in that way, then you, I mean, this, you, you just, you want the, you want this touch. This it, is, of course you're getting bored. It sounds like your needs aren't being met at all, really, with, with what you wrote. Obviously, I'm not in your day-to-day -day life. Uh, it just really seems like you're taking a lot of the initiative to sort of be the giver, and you're not receiving very much in return, um, including no orgasms. Mm -hmm. Damn it. And it's completely normal to fantasize about other bodies besides the body of the person that you're with, yeah. whether it's other genders, other sexes, or just other, or not, or maybe it's, you know, it's just, maybe it's an alien. I'm not sure, but it's fantasy and you can, you fantasize about whomever. And I would say that you're so young, you know, you don't, you, maybe you think that you're, uh, you know, a heterosexual person who sometimes fantasizes about women. And maybe that's true. Maybe that, that is true for you, that you are a heterosexual person who fantasizes about women. Also, maybe you've been conditioned to think that and you haven't explored yet to try that to learn that maybe you're something different. There are plenty of scenarios where people are in partnerships with, you know, an individual that would be considered like a queer gay partnership, but they still have other things that happen outside of their relationship that could be a penis owning individual with a vulva owner. Mm -hmm. I mean, we know I know couples right now that have that. Well, and so there's so many different what our, our campaign just highlighted, too, was the diversity of all of that. It really just highlighted the diversity of, um, you know, fantasy, of monogamy, that this is also like, you know, everything is normal and this is normal to be in a long-term relationship and to get bored, especially if people aren't changing things and spicing things up. To, it's normal to have fantasy about other people, especially after a couple years or maybe even in the beginning. So... Um, again, if you're feeling really alone, go look at that campaign because you'll see how many people, how many women have talked about having similar experiences. And just hold off on the whole marriage thing for a little while, give just until time. you give it. Or, yeah, some or time. at least, or at least be clear with them. Yeah. Like you, you know, if they propose and you're like, okay, well, a part of me wants to say yes, and then here's the other stuff that's going on for me. Before, do you still want to, you know, propose to me, knowing that this is a big part of me that I still exactly. am figuring out? Because our partner might not be getting the entire story either. Yeah. He may not realize this is even happening. So that, I think, is great advice on in all levels from both of us. So, And I think this is a great time to plug OMGS because oh, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like your partner and maybe, maybe you or maybe you two together could watch OMGS. Um, because it sounds like, as you said, that you're not uh, orgasming and there's not a lot of pleasure happening for you. Um, and that could be a combination of things. And it could be just your partner not showing up a lot of presence. It could be skill. Um, and, you know, it, there's so many other factors that in this episode, Emily talks about 
Um, but OMG, yes, great place to learn about pleasure, specifically how to pleasure vulvas, whether it's your own or someone else's, or even if you're already having most amazing orgasms, it's a great way to learn how to have even better orgasms or different types of orgasms from different types of touch. So it's, it's 62 videos. You buy it once. You own the forever. It's all online. And it's this is how we learn. We're visual people. So this is a great opportunity to learn more about pleasure and what our body's like and what other bodies like too. I challenge you to not be amazed by what you will learn from this because yeah. it's it's even doctors I think can learn from this. They should. The, I, yeah. I, they, oh, they. I just should them, but I feel <laughs> I feel like it would be. It, it could be a, an amazing tool for anybody, even a super educated person to a person that just wants to learn. Yeah. Uh, so check it out and go to OMGS. Backslash. It's OMG yes uh-huh. backslash shameless sex. OMGS.com backslash. Oh, yeah. You have to add HTTP colon back. I'm just kidding. com backslash shameless sex. Yes. Are we absolutely? <laughs> I'm like 99.9% sure. Oh my God. I'm going to You can also it. go to our website, shamelesssex.com, and click the link, the OMGS link on our page. Um, if. We are not giving you the right information, but wait, we need wait. to we need a we need a document. Yeah. Shameless. It's just shameless. Wait, Damn it. Is it? It is. Yeah, I saw it. Why did the thing not come up? Oh man. Uh, I didn't realize OMGS has been in The Guardian, CBS News, Wired, L, GQ, Forbes. That's pretty cool. They're they're pretty big. They're I mean they're they're doing and then so season two is almost on its way out. Okay, well as I figure this out, will you tell our listeners about um, horoscope before we go into the episode? So we've talked about horoscope before. There, um, th- There's 12 different zodiac signs that everybody, it's you know very common in as- astrology when you're born in a certain time period, you are, Amy's a Pisces, I'm a Cancer. Um, if you're, even if you're not into the zodiac or your horoscope, um, hopefully you're into sex because you're listening to this podcast and a little finger vibe is always fun to have because you wear it on your finger. It gives you the chance to have basically hands-free sex that you can uh, u- use a vibrator to stimulate your partner with. Um, and Bijou Indiscrets makes these really adorable, beautifully packaged horoscope uh, vibrator slash clitoral stimulator. And then you get a little necklace with a charm as well that kind of coincides with your birth sign. So not only is it an awesome gift for someone that you know, but it's also uh, packaged nicely. It's It looks gorgeous. And it's women-owned company from uh, Barcelona, Spain. So check out. You can go to Bijou Indiscrets or you can get them at purepleasureshop.com. Yeah. And just so you know, I believe... It looks like it is omgs.com backslash shameless. Okay, good. Yeah. I mean, we've said it on a lot of other episodes. This one in particular, we just may have forgotten because we have a lot of different coupon codes at this point. Just need to start writing things down. Um, did you tell our listeners about the discount for Horoscope? Do they know that part? Well, with Pure Pleasure, you can get 15% off by using the code SHAMELESSPP in all caps. Uh-huh. And then on Bijou's site, you can also get 15% off. Yep. With code, that one's just shameless sex. It's shameless sex. Yes. You better, everybody better write this down and let, let us know what those are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Could you help us, please? Yeah. We do have interns that we should We do. Interns. I know. That would be really helpful to put together. But sorry for the confusion. At least you can hit rewind if you need to. <laughs> um, what about Emily? Let's talk about um, who Emily oh, is. Because Emily awesome. Nagowski is going to be on the show I'm in a couple minutes. So happy that we had Emily 
on the show. And this is this is just if you've already tuned us out, then um, you know you're missing out. So I hope you're still here because this is gonna be a great episode. Okay, so Emily Nagowski, I, which is. I okay. Anyways, I'm not going to go too deep into that. Emily Nagowski is the award-winning author of the New York Times bestseller "Come as You Are: The Surprising New Science That Will Transform Your Sex Life," and the "Come as You Are" workbook, which is actually she said coming out is in June, June 2019, very soon. And co-author with her sister Amelia of "Burnout: The Secret to Unlocking the Stress Cycle." She began her work as a sex educator at the University of Delaware, where volunteered as a peer sex educator while studying psychology with minors in cognitive science and physiology. Philosophy. <laughs> Sorry. She went, went on to earn a MS in counseling and a PhD in health behavior, both from Indiana University with clinical and research training at the Kinsey Institute. Now she combines sex education and stress education to teach women to live with confidence and joy inside their bodies. Do you think the Kinsey Institute is named after, you know, the Kinsey scale? It, is it the same? Yeah. 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 Oh, I didn't really put that together until right now when you read that. That's oh, yeah. awesome. The yeah. Kinsey scale, if you don't know well, about it. Yeah. I mean, Kinsey's done a, Kinsey. lot, a lot of work around sexuality. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's actually, it coincides with the sex question about people not ever being oh, totally. Yeah, you get a number like a one or yeah. a two. And or it's three. like yeah. rare for you to be either completely heterosexual or completely, mm-hmm. um, I, don't, I don't know why, but completely homosexual. I don't well, like the term homosexual as much as gay or queer because there's so many different like levels. Queer. Yeah. queer is great, but. Well, um, that's when you, and you, I guess, because that suggests that it's on a spectrum where there is one side and then the other and this yeah. is in the middle and, and I think that if we look at sexuality I'm more like a continuum where there's no end right and there's no beginning right and and so uh, yeah I mean I think there's some really good things that have been done for, through Kinsey's work and um, and then there, there's uh, there's always limitations so I didn't really realize that though until you read that bio well, now you know now you I know all right, everyone. Well, are you ready to go? Are you, are you ready? Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do this podcast. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. All right, everyone. It's podcast time. Well, I guess we've always been on the podcast, but it's episode time. And we are so excited about this episode. I was talking today, this morning, yesterday. Uh, to my partner about how big this was for us to have Emily on our podcast um, because I describe uh, the book Come As You Are as groundbreaking and I don't describe a lot of books that way. So uh, We've also referred to this book, I mean, probably more than any other book Maybe besides Esther Perel, you two are, you know, neck and neck with how much referrals we do to your information because it's amazing. Really, really important work. So we're super excited to have you here. Uh, we already read the bio, so everyone knows all about you. But um, I guess, can you can you start just by telling us the inspiration for getting to where you are today, to writing this book, to your, your, you know, your journey in being this, um, what we would call a, a pioneer in the field of human sexuality, especially when it comes to uh, female bodies? Uh, sure. So I started out, um, I'm a big nerd, <laughs> it will not surprise you to learn. Um, so when I got to college, I knew I was going to be going to grad school. I had no idea what for, but you know, something. Um, so I thought, okay, I need some volunteer work on my resume to make me look like a really good candidate for graduate school. Uh, and the guy who lived on my floor said, well, come be a peer health educator for me. Uh, with, uh, we're going to like go into residence halls and talk about condoms and contraception and consent. And I was like, I like health. 
why not? So I did. I started doing that, going into residence halls. And uh, so my undergrad degree is in psychology with minors in cognitive science and philosophy, which does actually come in really handy. But uh, as much as I love the intellectual academic work I was doing, that work I was doing as a sex educator made me like who I am as a person in a way the intellectual stuff just never could. So that was the path I chose. I ended up at Indiana University for grad school. I got a master's degree in counseling psychology, trained as a sex therapist at the Kinsey Institute. Um, realized pretty quickly that I do not have the temperament to be a therapist, um, but I still really loved sexuality. And I'm also a woman who likes to be in charge of things, which meant for me continuing grad school and getting a PhD. So uh, I got a PhD in health behavior. It's basically public health with a concentration in human sexuality uh, and started working as uh, the director of wellness education at Smith College, which is a small liberal arts college out here in Western Massachusetts. Uh, it's the um, alma mater of Gloria Steinem and Betty Friedan and my favorite, Julia Child. And I was teaching a class called Women's Sexuality. So imagine you've got 187 Julia Childs, Gloria Steinem's, Betty Friedan's in your classroom, and you're teaching them about sex. <laughs> uh, so on the very first day, I'm giving the anatomy lecture, which is always the first day of class, and a student raises her hand and says, Emily, could you tell us uh, the evolutionary origin of the hymen? Uh, I had been a sex educator for 15 years at that point, and I had never even wondered what the evolutionary origin of the hymen was. So I knew on that day it was not going to be an ordinary semester, and it was not an ordinary semester. The students and I, like, kicked each other's asses. I fed them as much science as I possibly could. Like, we were, it was an, an introductory 101 course, but uh, they were at the cutting edge of science by the end of the semester. And after all this hard work, on the last question, on the final exam, I just said, okay, so tell me one important thing you learned. Doesn't matter what you say, just take the question seriously. You will get the two points because the two points matters a lot when you're Gloria Steinem, Betty Friedan, Julia Child. Uh, and uh, just tell me one important thing. I thought they were going to say the evolutionary biology or attachment theory or something like that. And instead, more than half of my 187 students just wrote something like, I learned I'm normal. No. Just because I'm different from other women doesn't mean there's anything wrong with me. Uh, when my partner says something about my body that doesn't feel true, I know that my body is right and my partner is wrong. Um, I'm normal. I learned that I'm normal. Uh, and I don't know if you guys have ever graded final exams, but this is not what it's usually like. I was sitting in my office with tears in my eyes, grading my final exams, feeling like something really important had just happened. And I wanted to do it again, and I wanted to make it accessible for people who were not students at Smith. Uh, so that was the day I decided to write Come As You Are. A mere four and a half years later, it got published. Uh, and ever since then, I've been traveling everywhere I possibly can, talking about the science of women's sexual well-being and spreading this idea that, yes, you actually are normal. Everything you've been taught by your culture about sexuality is wrong and contradicted by the science. And when you have a more science-based understanding of how your sexuality works, it actually is enormously enriching and empowering. Absolutely. And I think that 
also could be a great title for uh, the book because it's Come As You Are, which is awesome. And it, it engages like, you know, come as exactly as you are, but it also could be called You Are Normal. Right. Uh, and I love that in the beginning of the book, you did talk about, you know, each, um, and this isn't just for cis women, this is any kind of female identified Mm-hmm. person out there, right? Uh, but you talk about kind of like your your female parts being like a fingerprint and everyone is different. And it's um, I, I love that. And um, one thing that I really took away, I'm still in the process. I'm almost finished um, listening to your book. And I told I told you when we first got on, I was like, hey, you have the best audible book uh, voice I've ever heard. And I listen to a lot. So um, I'm almost done. I'm going to be kind of sad, but then I'll listen to the podcast and love it even more. And we'll keep you forever. Uh, but you debunk a lot of the cultural and social norms about female sexuality, which I was so inspired by, about even like folks not knowing about the clitoris, um, you know, just until like the last 10 years or something. But what do you think people are most surprised by um, when they re- read your book? Oh, it depends on the audience. Uh, when I talk with college age folks, they are most surprised and empowered by chapter six, which is about arousal, uh, specifically the phenomenon of arousal non-concordance. This is the situation where, uh, okay, so the thing in your brain that usually in popular science journalism gets called the reward center of your brain, it's not really the reward center, calling it the reward center, is that situation of like calling your vulva your vagina, like, Okay, so the vagina is one important feature, but if I'm trying to understand everything, then the, you're leaving out some important parts that's going to leave me really confused when I'm trying to understand how this vulva situation works. Um, calling it the reward center, reward is one important feature of it, and that's the pleasure part of it. That's the like opioid hot spots in your emotional brain that's like you drop sugar water on the tongue of a newborn infant and the opioid hot spots set off fireworks and they make the pleasure noises and faces. Mm. And we all know sort of like the sexual equivalent of like, mm, it just feels really good pleasure. That's one of the features of this brain mechanism. A second feature is desire which is this dopaminergic uh, system that spreads out far and wide through the whole system. And this is wanting instead of it being about like, Oh, that feels really good. It's about, I would like some more of that, which of course is related to pleasure, but it is not identical. And then there's the third system, which is my favorite one. Uh, But unfortunately I have to use a really terrible analogy in order to explain it. And that is Pavlov's dogs. Um, So Pavlov, you know, that he trained dogs to salivate in response to a bell. It's very easy. Anyone can do it. You just give a dog food. The dog salivates automatically and you ring a bell. So food, salivate, bell. Food, bell, salivate. Until eventually you just ring the bell and the dog salivates, right? So this, you've just taught the dog that the bell is a food-related stimulus, Does the dog salivation mean the dog wants to eat the bell? Does it mean that the dog thinks the bell is delicious? It just means it's a food-related stimulus. Um, So when we understand the separateness of these three systems, now we can understand this phenomenon where our body may respond to a sex-related stimulus, even though sometimes we may not like that sensation and we may not want that sensation. It's called arousal non-concordance. It happens to people no matter what configuration of genitals they have, no matter what their gender identity is. Um, And it also happens with every emotional and motivational system 
that we have. They've done studies like this on like the chills we experience when we listen to music. Uh, so uh, in the study, it's really funny. They play My Heart Will Go On, you know, the Celine Dion song. Uh, and they ask people, did you experience chills? And they have a camera really close up on the person's arm. And they're watching to see if the person experiences erection, which is the technical term for your hair standing on end, which is the physiological marker of chills. Uh, uh, and it turns out there was not a significant overlap between the people who said they experienced chills and the people who experienced pilo erection, their hair standing on end. But if you're Celine Dion singing, <laughs> which would you rather? Do you want people to walk out being like, oh, I got chills, that was amazing. Or do you want them to walk out being like, meh, but their hair stood on end, right? <laughs> which one is most important to you? Definitely the former. <laughs> right. Like you want people to be like, oh God, that was amazing. I love that so much, regardless of what their physiology was doing. The same is true for sexual response. It doesn't really matter what a person's blood flow is. What matters is what they subjectively want and like what they say. You want them to have a fantastic experience. And it's easy for us to understand that when it's music, when it's food, like if I bite into like a wormy apple and my mouth waters. Nobody will say to me, well, I mean, Emily, you just don't want to admit how much you like that wormy apple. Your mouth watered, so you just don't want to admit it. Uh, but the, so the same thing that we know is true about food and we know is true about music is also true about sexuality. That when there's a difference between what a person's body is doing and how turned on they feel, the thing you believe is the person. Blood flow doesn't know what a person wants or likes. It's just saying, here's something that I guess is sexually relevant, even if it's not wanted or liked. So I think the the the, the piece that people are, th that comes to mind for me and that you talk about in your book and for a lot of folks will be lubrication, you know, vaginal lubrication, mm -hmm. not necessarily, it can be related to arousal and it also might not be. In, right. Um, and then if we look for male body folks, erections happen all the time for absolutely no reason. You know, like, all kinds of reasons. You get all erections, kinds of reasons. And erections yeah. fail to come around and lubrication fails to come around when you expect it. Yeah, absolutely. And so when we put that pressure on the individual to have their body perform in a certain way to prove to us that they're ready or that they're, they like us or love us or are turned on by us, it's a lot of pressure for everyone. It's and actually a really good way to guarantee erection won't happen <laughs> is if you shine a spotlight on it and you make it really super important. Like, okay, go. Ready? Erection. Go. Erection or you don't love me. Yeah. <laughs> Taking a person on it. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, then really no erection. And then, and then with the vaginal lubrication thing too, I think that, um, in, in that one's a, I guess maybe can you elaborate a little more on that one? Because that's a, a tricky one. I, I'm not going to name names, but there are sex educators out there that you might know of who say that, um, that they are completely related, that arousal and a uh, very wet pussy are completely related. And they, they teach specifically to heterosexual couples. And, and I'm, again, not naming them, so I'm going to out them. But they're basically teaching that, that if you're not getting your female body partner's pussy super wet, you're doing it wrong. What are your thoughts on that? Um, that person has not read the research. Yeah, that's what that's what I was thinking. But they're they're big. Whoever they whoever they are, <laughs> they, and that's uh, cool. If what they're doing, so we often it's a thing we get taught to do is to use our genital response as a metaphor for our experience. Like we tell our partners, like, "Oh, I'm so wet for you right now," or "You're so hard, I love it," and that's great and fun if we understand that it is actually metaphorical. And what matters is the expression of pleasure that we're intending to convey. Mm -hmm. uh, 
um, that what we're talking about is how good that feels and how awesome it is to experience this with you right now in this moment. Uh, the physiology itself eh, is not central, uh, especially because I mean, if nothing else, we know for sure the physiology changes across a person's lifespan. If they're pregnant, when they're perimenopausal and postmenopausal, uh, as uh, people with penises age, their testosterone levels will often drop. And along with the drop in testosterone comes a drop in their erections. So instead of pointing at the ceiling, they point at the wall. That has nothing to do with how they feel about the person. That has to do with how much testosterone there is in their bloodstream. Um, and hardly anyone with a vagina lubricates enough to be like a really good amount of lubrication for any sort of vaginal penetration that lasts longer than five-ish or maybe 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Like our lubrication just is not built for that. We should all of us, if you're experiencing penetration, be using some sort of lubricant, even if it's just like coconut oil, which yeah. by the way, don't ever use coconut oil with latex, but <laughs> like it makes a great lube otherwise. Um, so yeah. So if you look at the research, that's just not how it works, but centering pleasure is really important. And with that piece of it, I completely agree. What's up, Shameless Sex Fam? Is your sex life important to you? Hmm. What about your relationships? And also, let me ask you this. Who can relate to this story? Things were once so good in the bedroom with my partner, and now it's a mess, and I don't know what to do. Where's or, my happily ever after, yeah, where's Amy? My yeah, yeah, what about me? Or how about so many aspects of my life are fantastic, but when it comes to sex and relationships, I feel so lost. Yep, been there. Uh, mm -hmm. Me too. Mm -hmm. And this is why you all need Shameless Sex, the, the book. book. We give you simple, simple solutions and a framework that you can use. You can customize it to you. Yes, you gives you the tools, the right tools for your sex and relationship. So you get what you desire and it's fun. It's playful. Right, Amy? We're always playful. It's kind of sexy. And did I mention how easy we make it for you? You have to check out Shameless Sex. Plus the testimonials, they're coming in from everywhere. And this book has helped people just like you recreate and create the sex life of their dreams. So you can do it too. Go to, where are they going, Amy? Shamelesssex.com. Oh, how easy is that? Just go to shamelesssex.com and click on the book, okay? And you can get it however you choose. If you, you want, want hardcover, yeah. audio. Hardcover? We got you hardly yeah. covered. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And I'll just add that, that same educator also said makes claims about again not adding who the educators but claims that there's a superior way to have an orgasm and that it's not clitoral orgasm. So it's very clear to me just in the way that they're speaking. Yeah, it's just very. So now it's a little more difficult because it's not just factually incorrect. Um, it is actually patriarchy. Yeah, it's imposing uh. the idea that the way of having an orgasm that is convenient for heterosexual men is the, the best way to have an orgasm. Coincidentally, just entirely coincidentally, the orgasm method that works for the dudes uh, is the best one. It dates back a long way. Freud, at the very least, Freud was a, like he had some really cool and important ideas and a whole lot of his ideas were um, 
we just need to stop teaching them altogether. <laughs> and the uh, immaturity of clitoral orgasm is one of the things that just needs to die on the vine immediately. Let's stop talking about different kinds of orgasms. Again, it's the pleasure that matters. It doesn't matter what kind of modality gives you the orgasm. What matters is whether or not you like the orgasm you're having. And just for the record, because these numbers should be out there, between a quarter to a third of women, uh, and when I say women, I'm referring to the people who participate in the research, which is almost exclusively cisgender women. Um, I don't know what the numbers are for folks who are transgender or non-binary, but for cisgender women, a quarter to a third are reliably orgasmic from vaginal penetration alone. In the research, they call it unassisted intercourse, which I find hilarious. Um, about half of women are sometimes orgasmic from penetration by itself, and the rest are rarely or never orgasmic from vaginal stimulation alone, and all of them are normal. Those are all normal parts of the experience of sexuality when you've got that set of genitals. Yeah, and and I understand that there might be different ways to experience orgasm. You know, sometimes you have a quarter of a second orgasm, and sometimes you feel like you have a five minute orgasm, and sometimes they happen from vaginal penetration, sometimes they happen from clitoral penetration. But there is no superior orgasm. Pleasure is pleasure. So I really like right. that you're saying that, and that's another thing that you really discuss in your book that we are talking about Freud and the patriarchy. You know, that we're living this penis centric model for female sexuality. What the penis likes is what we've determined that the, the vulvas like, that female bodies like too. And your, your book really breaks that down. I think it's a really important point if you want to elaborate on that a little bit more. I could literally talk about that forever. So the very first chapter of the book is the anatomy chapter. And the theme of that chapter is we're all made of the same parts, just organized in different ways. Um, but so physiologically, it's really obvious. Like if you look on like the, it's a boy package of genitals, uh, there's this like stretchy skin where hair grows, right? That's the scrotum. And then on the package of genitals that makes everybody go, it's a girl on that. You've got the stretchy skin where the hair grows. That's the labia. When we're developing in the womb, that's actually called the labioscrotal tissue. It's exactly the same stuff. And next time you get up close and friendly with a scrotum, you might notice there's a seam running down the center of the scrotum where if things had just been a little bit different hormonally or chromosomally, that person's body might have developed into labia instead of a scrotum. It's all the same parts, just organized in a slightly different way. And that's true literally about the structure of our bodies. It's true metaphorically about all of our experiences. And uh, that doesn't have anything to do with the way our culture constructs narratives around our sexuality. Um, so let's take the hymen, for example. <laughs> the evolutionary origin of the hymen is that it's just this residual leftover kind of fold of skin from the differentiation of our bodies in the womb in the, it's a boy package of genitals. It's a thing called the veromontanum, which don't remember that. It doesn't matter. It's this <laughs> little fold of tissue that goes from the prostate to the urethra. Mm -hmm. uh, in the cascade of events that happens when the genitals are organizing themselves into the it's a girl package, that turns into this fold of skin right at the mouth of the vagina. Doesn't mean anything. It doesn't do anything. It's just this thing there. But when a patriarchal culture uh, that treats women's bodies as literal property of the men who own them, you see a fold of skin at the mouth of the vagina where the babies come out mm -hmm. and you decide that, oh, this is a marker of purity. My husband jokingly calls it a freshness seal, <laughs> um, which I make a joke about it, but also women's 
literal lives can depend on the shape and size of their hymen, despite the fact that there is no relationship between the shape and size of your hymen and whether or not your vagina has ever been penetrated. Even women after childbirth can have an intact hymen. The hymen is like any other skin. If it tears, it heals. It can get stretchy. It can change shape. Certainly as our hormones change across our lifetime, it can change. Some people are born without a hymen at all. Some people are born with microperforate hymens and imperforate hymens and septate hymens. They're all different from each other. And none of them mean anything. We're all just different from each other. And the more, again, like when we can have a science-based understanding of like, here's what our bodies actually are made of. Here's what it means versus here's what our culture told us. All these nonsense stories grounded in the idea that women are property. Mm-hmm. Really? So, and I like, I leave it up to people to choose which works better for them. Clearly I have an opinion, but it's not my sexuality. Only my sexuality is my sexuality and people get to choose whatever works for them. So if another sex educator is saying like our genital response is super important and this kind of orgasm is super important, people can choose to be like, yeah, that sounds right to me. I like it. Let's work on it. Cool. Yeah. Fuck, fuck the patriarchy. That's in, in a nutshell, right? <laughs> um, no, that's great. I think patriarchy that, doesn't deserve to be fucked. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, there you go. So you talk a lot in the book um, about, which I loved this kind of reference of um, the accelerator and breaks, uh, mm-hmm. the dual control model of sexual response. And I think you break it down in, there's two di- different acronyms, the SES and the SIS, which is right. like, I wrote it down, sexual excitation system and sexual inhibition system. Yeah. Um, I was trying to remember, but I was like, you know, I'm just going to write it down. Just and you know, my editor was like, nobody's going to be able to remember these. Don't ever use them. So I yeah. took out a bunch of them. And now when I speak, I never say sis and sis because people okay. are like, what are those? What right. Does that mean? And they don't right. remember the difference. So everyone is like you. You are normal. Okay, good, good. Thank. Oh, thank you. Um, I just wanted you to kind of break that accelerator breaks down. I mean, it's very complex in a lot of ways because there's so many different variations, right? But can you let our listeners Except know? A there's a really about? like basic, important, yeah. Um, it's one of my favorite topics. Okay, yeah. so it's called the dual control model. So there's going to be how many parts? Two. Oh, I was like, am I supposed to answer that? Oh, is this a trick question? No. And the first one is the part we're all sort of familiar with, which is the sexual accelerator. It responds to all that sex-related information out there in the environment that we were talking about. That's everything that you see, hear, smell, touch, taste, or crucially imagine, think, feel, believe that your brain codes as a sex-related stimulus and it sends the turn-on signal right? It's functioning at a low level all the time, including right now, here we are talking about sex, which is just a little bit sex related. So there's a little bit of turn on signal being sent. Fortunately, at the same time you have, well, if the first part is the accelerator or the gas pedal, the second part has to be the brake. Um, And it is noticing all the very good reasons not to be turned on right now, right? Everything that you see, hear, smell, touch, taste or imagine, think, feel, believe, that your brain interprets as a potential threat. And it sends the turn off signal. So the arousal process is a dual process of turning on the ons and turning off 
the offs. And most of the time when sort of the traditional sex advice is all about adding stimulation to the accelerator, like let's do role play and fancy lingerie and porn and erotica and romance novels. And those things are great if you like them, go for it. But it turns out when people are struggling with desire, arousal, orgasm, it's usually not because there's not enough stimulation to the accelerator. It's usually because there's too much stimulation to the brake because of how many things can hit the brake. Sometimes it's pretty simple stuff. Um, stress is one of the most common ones. Body image stuff is pretty common. Sometimes it's just worrying about being interrupted. Sometimes it's like just, just being distracted and thinking about the dishes that are still in the sink, right? Sometimes you have a trauma history where your brain associates any sexually relevant stimulus as also being a potential threat. And there's a very strongly evidence-based therapy. People who have sexual trauma that they carry in their bodies recover all the time. I've heard literally hundreds of stories of recovery. I feel a great deal of hope whenever people talk to me about experiencing trauma that they can heal and experience really profound connection with their own sexual bodies and sexual pleasure with and without a partner. Um, so the revelation for most people is recognizing that it's normal to have both the accelerator and the brake. And sometimes you can feel ambivalent. Like you have a sexual experience where you really love the way your partner is touching you, but you wish it weren't happening like at the supermarket. Mm -hmm. um, or you really sort of like love that it's happening at the supermarket, mm -hmm. but uh, they're not touching you in quite the way that really works for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. So that, so, and I, and I like that highlighting, I like that the simplifying it to the accelerator and brakes. I mean, it's not simple and yet uh, that is easy for my brain to wrap my head around that there's a part that people are trying to add all this fluff to like, Oh, just try this fun thing and this, but then if we just do that and we don't look at the things that are actually in the way, you know, the, the, which we would call more like the walls that we get over mm -hmm. being in our heads and not in our bodies and all those things, which you're referring to as the breaks. Um, God, sexuality is so dynamic. It's so like, no wonder you're able to write uh, <laughs> such a profound book and have a whole um, really important career around it because there's so much to it that like, as April was saying in the, in the beginning, you know, the fact that, I think it was Wednesday Martin we had her on our podcast and mm. she was talking about how we we've you know sent a sent a human to the moon and yet we just figured out you know 8 or 9 years ago that the clitoris is more than the little nub that we see you know that there's That's more That's actually a myth. Is that a myth which parts what the, that it, we've known so, for a lot longer? In my it's opinion it's a much more interesting story. The actual story is that the clitoris has come and gone from our anatomical understanding. Oh yeah, wasn't so, it like not a thing for a little while? <laughs> there's like an, uh, uh, an anatomy textbook from the early 1900s, early 1800s that has the complete what? internal structure of the clitoris. There it is. And then 20 years later, the clitoris is gone entirely. And then it come back in the early 20th century. And then it goes away again. And then it comes back. We're doing fMRI studies and we're fully visualizing. And that's the like 10 or 15 years ago, we finally saw the clitoris as all of its internal structures. So it's not that we like just discovered it. That's sort of like the like Columbus discovered America. <laughs> we knew there were people there already. They knew <laughs> that it was there. And there were people with clitorises who were like, I'm really, I'm, I'm good. I'm all set. Clitoris. I know exactly. Yes. Um, but the fact that it has come and gone through our history mm -hmm. is, a, I think, a really fascinating story. I'd love for there to be like a biography of 
the clitoris, mm-hmm. like wh- how it has come and gone in Western science. And that's still happening. So I, I think in your book, you talk about embryologically, the G spot G area tissue is the same as the prostate, prostate. Tissue, right? Yes. Um, and, but there still is. And then I guess coming back to like, uh, bringing it to female ejaculation, that's constantly being debated. It's, oh, real, it's not real. It's real. It's not real. I mean, that's, so it, that still is happening. We're still doing yeah. it. And the reason people get so confused is because the actual answer is people vary. Yeah. People are all different from each other. And the re- people get really trapped in it does exist, it doesn't exist, because they feel like there's a moral weight associated with whether or not there is a G-spot. Like, if there is a G-spot, then that means women are supposed to be having orgasms from vaginal stimulation. And you know what? There's a cluster of cells that you can access through the anterior wall of the vagina For some people, it feels great to have that stimulated when they're sexually aroused. For some people, it can actually hurt. For some people, it just feels like the pressure to pee. And for some people, it's nothing at all. People vary tremendously. They vary in the shape and size of that organ in their bodies. The internal structures of the clitoris vary tremendously, and they change. And the way those internal structures of the clitoris get stimulated vary depending on the shape and size of the thing you're being penetrated with. Mm-hmm. Because of the internal structures, of, they've done these uh, sonogram studies. So imagine you're in like a sonogram scanning machine with your partner having penile vaginal intercourse and they can see inside like they do like when you're pregnant, they can see like the fetus. This is they can see the penis going into the vagina and they can see how the internal structure of the clitoris shapes itself around the penis and it will vary depending on the shape and size of the way you're being penetrated. So some penises in some vaginas actually result in stimulation of the internal structures of the clitoris. Mm -hmm. So it's, is that vaginal stimulation or is that clitoral stimulation? Mm -hmm. Who cares? (laughs) Yeah. If it feels good, ultimately. Yeah. The yeah, penis, people the vary. The penis cares. <laughs> and, and from a scientific point of view, these are like really fascinating questions to know. Why do some people ejaculate some of the times and not other times? Why do some people never ejaculate? Um, why do some people have orgasms this way and not that way? The, I'm super interested from an intellectual point of view and from a sex educator point of view. I don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. Who cares? Yeah. It's whether or not you like what you are doing. There is no standard. There is no script of the thing you should be doing or a way to measure your performance. There's just, uh, did you know that people believe you more when the things you say rhyme? <laughs> what? <laughs> I learned this in the process of like learning how to talk about sexuality to a large audience. Uh, I found out that people, it's not just they remember it better. They do remember it better, but also they believe you more. So I made it rhyme. Here we go. Pleasure is the measure. <laughs> Pleasure is the measure of sexual well-being. It's not how often you have sex or who you have it with or how many orgasms you have or where you do it or any of those things. It's whether or not you like the sex you are having. Mm-hmm. Pleasure is the measure. Yes. Yeah. Okay, everyone, you believe? You believers. Good. I mean, I think you have it's because it rhymes. That's what, and that's one thing we say to you, you know, to if you have to make if you have to have a goal for sex, make the goal pleasure and just keep that this open-ended experience as opposed to have it being orgasm or some destination is just... But if I do that, then how do I know I'm doing it right? Yeah, then there you go. Give yourself, get rid of goals. Just, just pleasure. Pleasure is the measure. That's something that I love that you said in the book too, uh, is that you don't make orgasms happen. You allow them to mm-hmm. happen, which I think I, that was pretty spot on for me because I always 
um, in especially in a, a, a partnership situation or a hookup situation, I was always able to self pleasure, you know, over the years since a young age, but it was always difficult for me when I was in a dual situation to have an orgasm. Mm -hmm. And I always thought like, why can't I make this happen? And just too much in your head. So you just have to allow orgasm to happen. Those are the brakes, right? The the acceleration brake system. That's the brake system stepping in there and saying, I need to make this happen. And therefore now you have a break and something in the way. Yeah. Yeah, Cause it's the thought, oh my God, I have to have an orgasm. What's the matter with me? Why can't I have an orgasm? Is that is that hitting the accelerator? No, no. <laughs> Just hitting the brake. The more you worry about orgasm, the more it hits the brakes, the more difficult orgasm becomes. Yeah. So I'm curious as to if you're going to write another book or come out with some kind of, you need like a, I feel like you need like your own talk show <laughs> because where people could call in and you're like, no, I don't have time for that. I'm an educator. Just right read now. the book. Just read yeah, the book. Just read the book. Yeah. Actually, so uh, I did just finish uh, my second book. So uh, chapter four in Come As You Are is about stress and love and relationships and like emotion processing. And uh, over the first few months that I was traveling all over talking about women's sexuality, I was super excited about the science. Clearly, I get super excited about the science of women's sexual well-being. Uh, but women kept coming up to me over and over and saying, sure, sex science, that's great, Emily. But man, that chapter on emotion processing, that was a real game changer. That sort of changed everything for me. Um, so I told my sister this, I have an identical twin sister named Amelia, who's a choral conductor. So her job is to express the emotional intention of a composer through her body to a choir so that they can express it to an audience. She has to teach people about feelings all the time too. Um, so I told her like people are interested in feelings and she was like, no shit. I teach it to people. So I know for sure people don't already know. And when I, my sister said, finally figured it out, it probably saved my life. She said twice. Um, and I remembered what it was like to see my identical twin sister crying in a hospital, Johnny, and said, we should write a book about that. So that's the book we wrote. It's called Burnout. Um, it's for women who feel overwhelmed and exhausted by everything they have to do, yet still worry they are not doing enough. I don't know if that sounds like anybody you know, <laughs> but it's everybody. it's everyone I know. It'll be out yes. in the U.S. March 26th, so any minute now. And oh, we narrated the audiobook for that too. My sister and I alternated chapters. Oh, do you have similar voices? So much so that uh, my sister's husband could not tell us apart. And they've been married for 20 years. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's actually, so he's a, a pianist and a composer. Um, and he composed the music for the audiobook. They went to the church where he works and played the snippets of the audiobook that were going to get a, um, music in the background. And he just improvised mm-hmm. based on what he heard. It's yeah. really beautiful. It totally made me cry. Oh, we're so excited about this. It's so okay. I have a question about that then, because you're you know as a as self identified nerd, uh, you know sex sex geek sex nerd, and so there's a lot of headiness there. But you're also talking about you know these these tears and these emotional. How do you keep the balance? April and I are both very heady people, so this is a selfish question. But I know a lot of our listeners <laughs> identify with this too. How do you keep the balance with being so you know academic and and heady about sexuality while also still finding ways to be embodied? I'm the wrong person to ask that question because <laughs> the body part has always come really naturally to me. Okay. Um, the place where I struggle is not with the body part or the intellectual brain part, but with the emotional part of like being really 
connected and present and emotionally like tuned in with my partner, the body part's easy for me, the intellectual part. So I've had to learn the heart part. Mm. My sister, despite being my twin, has a totally different relationship with her body. Um, She's been taking horseback riding lessons for the past three years, which is actually really good training for sex Mm. because you have to like tune in to the way your body is relating to this thousand pound animal's body. Mm. And whatever your body is doing is going to show up in the behavior of the horse. So it forces your attention out of all the noise spinning in your head, all the thoughts down into the physical sensations of what's happening in your body. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's been a lesson for her. I think she's had to actively pursue ways to reconnect with. It's one of the reasons why yoga is so important for so many people, Mm -hmm. why a practice of mindfulness and awareness of the breath can be so powerful. It's the reason why body-based therapies have proven to be at least as effective and sometimes more effective than cognitive sort of approaches to treating forms of sexual difficulties. The more we can shift our attention out of like the worry and concern and all that prefrontal cortex stuff down into the meat and bone and blood of our organism, um, the more that information can come up into our brain. We have often been taught to be really afraid of that stuff. Um, a woman who read Come As You Are tweeted to me the story of watching her adult brother changing his baby daughter's diaper. And uh, so she was all clean. He comes over with the new diaper and he sees that she is touching her own genitals. And he, the dad, goes, ah, don't touch that. Mm-hmm. And the woman tweeting me was like, I would never have thought about that until I read your book. Because what is what is she learning in that moment? Yeah, not okay. To her body me. doesn't really belong to her. It's something to be ashamed of and stay away from and block off in her brain. So if, you know, she won't remember that one moment, but it'll accumulate with countless other similar moments so that by the time she gets to adulthood, there's just this like blank space in her brain where her clitoris should be because she's been taught she's not allowed to connect with that part of herself. Mm-hmm. So would then, I guess, in that sense, would you say, since the body thing's been easy for you, would you say that you haven't received a lot of um, stories of, sh- of shame and that your body isn't yours and that it's not okay to pleasure yourself? Like, is that, is that something that you would identify with? That it, that's why maybe a reason why it's easier for you than some other folks. No, it's, I mean, this is the thing is I have an identical twin sister. Uh-huh, there you right? go. We're raised in, the, we're born at the same time, raised in the same household by the same parents who gave us no sex education. Mm-hmm. We had uh, medical, dict- medical uh, encyclopedias in our house. <laughs> that is how I learned about sex initially. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my sister had access to the same resources and the same fucked up family and ended up with a totally different relationship with her body and her sexuality. People just vary Mm -hmm. tremendously in their brain's proneness to receive information and their level of connection. Um, One of the reasons why it's so useful to have a sister, an identical twin sister, when I teach about sex, is because of how very much we vary. Just to normalize that just because we're different from each other doesn't mean one of us is wrong and one of us is right. We just have different experiences and our job is to make the most of what we've got. Mm. So like make a list of the things that hit our accelerator and the things that hit our brake and do what we can to maximize our access to stuff that hits the accelerator and get rid of the stuff that's hitting the brake. Our lists are different, but the basic process is not. And it's accepting our sexuality as it is. Mm -hmm. That's really the key to each of us being able to maximize our own sexual well-beings. Mm -hmm. 
And, and this book, uh, again, just to uh, the the point being, everybody should read this book. I mean, it's really <laughs> no, really. I mean, I, I don't like to shit people, but they this is full, chocked full of so much juicy great information that isn't just for vulva owners uh, or folks that like other vulva owners. It's for anyone. It can really, really just like pops the lid off of our bodies and normalcy and sexuality as a whole. So I just want to give you my personal gratitude for writing this book and doing your work because it's incredible. And I wish right now that I lived in Massachusetts because I would take some <laughs> classes from you. Uh, I don't want this to end though. Please, can we just hang out longer? <laughs> can I plug one other thing? Uh, pl- I mean, yes, anything you want. This is a project I'm super excited about. Finally, in June, there's going to be a Come As You Are workbook mm. that like as nerdy as I am and as much as I love the science, this like takes out all the extraneous stuff and it's just jam packed with worksheets Mm. on how you can apply the science of sex to your sexuality and your relationship and really make it work for you. You can use it on your own or with a therapist or with a coach. Um, And it's just really practical about like, if you want to create change, here's evidence-based strategies for creating change. If you want to understand who you are as a sexual person, here's evidence-based strategies for generating idea of what your, your narrative is as a sexual person. I'm super, June 12th, I think, is when it will come out. This is the 2019 because this yes. is the Evergreen episode. Right. It's the internet. That's helpful for folks that um, are using the Audible book as well, because there's always times when I'm driving, I was like, wait, what was that? And yeah. you talk about the the workbook in, um, obviously, in the Audible book as well. So um, yeah, there's all kinds of worksheets as a PDF download that comes with it. Um, and the worksheets in the workbook are updated versions of what's income as you are. So there's new science that has emerged. So I've updated them. And there's just like tons more. Okay. Great. And so that will be available everywhere that people can get com- the book come as you are too. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So, and then I guess, so that would be, I know you're on Amazon. If you're anyone who shops at Pure Pleasure, we have it at Pure Pleasure. We're not the workbook yet, but I'm sure we will. Um, but we have the book come as you are and you all get 15% off uh, anything you buy at Pure Pleasure with coupon code shameless PP in all caps. Um, but your book is also available on Amazon and pretty much any sex positive adult store will have it. Um, I've seen it all over, I know all over the U.S. And because I, we, April and I travel to a lot of adult stores. How mm-hmm. else can people find you and learn more about you? Are you on the, all the social medias? I tend, uh, since uh, approximately um, January of 2017, I have been doing a lot less social media. Just, you know, it just feels better for no particular reason. Um, I tend to do Instagram because it's fun. Just E. Nagoski on Instagram. And uh, my website is just emilynagoski.com. And because I have new books coming out, I'm touring, I'm traveling a whole lot, talking about both sex and stress. Uh, So you can see where I'm going to be over the next couple of years because holy crap I'm going a lot of places I'm going to <laughs> the UK I'm going to Russia I think I'm going to Copenhagen like wow. yeah it's gonna be amazing you're busy <laughs> if you're in London let me know I'll, I'll set you up with my my bosses who live in London Hot Octopus the founders they're amazing also yep. changing I feel like people you know they're into sex not stigma it's just awesome but a lot of penis toys, but still, yeah. Oh, well, let me know. I'll send you a little email with their contacts. They, I always Great. love connecting amazing people with amazing people. So, Emily, you are... You're, yes, some sort. Thank you. Um, I think that you're just, uh, just an incredible human. So thanks again for taking the time out of your day and for all that you do. Uh, remember, folks, 
check out the book, Come As You Are. If you want it on Audible, it's there or just buy it, the paperback or I don't know if they make hardcovers anymore because they're too heavy, but paperback. And check out Emily's website to see if you can meet her in person. Maybe get an autograph, booked, signed, copy, all of it. So Emily, thank you. And we will see you next Tuesday, folks. Ciao for now. Don't forget to head on over to our website at shamelesssex.com for more. And for 15% off of some of our favorite sex toys, use coupon code SHAMELESSPP in all caps at purepleasureshop.com.